0: Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 6 through 8, Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Let's join our hearts together in a word of prayer as we come to the text of Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you've given us your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and help us, even as saints, even as your children, to glory in the salvation that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ our Lord, for any of these precious people who are in turmoil of soul or are not resting in Christ or not glorying in the gospel, may this sermon by your Holy Spirit help them to more glory in our great salvation that you've given to us in Christ. And for those who are not saved, may you, by your spirits, pierce their hearts and convict them of their sin and iniquity that they might repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us in this time. Help me to apply this word faithfully and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're pausing from Titus, with me being away at the pastor's conference, I decided to step away from Titus and do something I was familiar with. And so I decided to do Romans 5, 6 through eight. Romans 5, 6 through 8, a wonderful gospel text, a wonderful text that is encouraging to the saints of their salvation purchased and accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this is for the saints because this book was written to the church in Rome, the saints in Rome, and it shows us That no matter how long we have been Christians, we need to be reminded of the gospel of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for five minutes or 50 years. You never outgrow your need of basking in what God has done for you in Christ. If you've gotten over it, something is not wrong With the word, but with your hearts. Because for the believer walking closely with the Lord, his great desire is more love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. And how do we get that love? We love him because he first loved us. And so what a wonderful text As Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is seeking to encourage the saints in Rome of what God did for them and what Christ did for them. And so if you're here as a child of God, I pray that you would be more refreshed in what God has done for you in Christ than you were when you came in. You would be more joyful That you could say with the apostle, but God forbid that I should boast or glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the main point of this sermon is Christ died for the ungodly, the scarcity of one dying even for a righteous or good man, and God's love demonstrated in Christ's death. So, my first point Christ died for the ungodly Christ died for the ungodly my second point the scarcity of one dying even for a righteous or good man the scarcity of one dying even for a righteous or good man and my third point God's love demonstrated in Christ's death so again my first point Christ died for the ungodly Christ died for the ungodly. Verses 1 through 5 in this chapter, it begins by saying, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the moment a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that very moment, they're justified. Justification is not a process. Justification is an act of God where we are declared righteous because of the doing and dying of Jesus Christ. And the moment we believe, we are declared in God's courtroom perfectly just because we are clothed in the just one, Jesus Christ. And because of that, we as believers are not at war with God anymore, but we're at peace with God. This is not the peace of God, subjective, This is the peace with God objective that never changes. We as justified believers always have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it talks about how we have access by faith into this grace. We stand, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God and also how God uses in our life tribulations and trials to produce in us perseverance and character and hope And this hope doesn't disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so that is the context right before. And verse 6 begins with the word for or because. Because of all these things, for the reason why we know that God is using even tribulations in our life to produce produce perseverance, character, hope is because, verse 6, the reason why we know that these things are going to be true for us is because while we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. It begins this verse, connecting it to the first five verses by saying when we were still without strength, strength, while we were helpless, while we were weak in ourselves, picture someone who is completely paralyzed from the neck down. They are paralyzed completely from the neck down. They can't move their arms. They can't move their legs. They can do nothing. They can't feed themselves. They are entirely helpless. They are entirely Without strength. That is what it is like for us before we come to know Christ. We are completely helpless. We are without strength. We are entirely weak. We are, as the scripture says, dead in our trespasses and sins. And an unbelieving person, a sinner who is dead in their sin, can do nothing. To save themselves or to prepare themselves for salvation. And we, before we came to know Christ by God's grace, we were completely without strength. But this is not a without strength that is like a victim. We were without strength because we loved our sin and we hated God. The scriptures do not present the case as if we are victims that want God, but just are held back. The problem for us, the reason why we're without strength is because we don't want God. This is what Romans three says. No one seeks God. Why? Because they run away from God and no one fears God. Why? Because we reject God. And so this without strength is not like a victim This without strength is like a criminal who runs from God, despises God, and doesn't want God. Remember with Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament, it says they could not speak peaceably about their brother. They had minds, right, that worked. They had lips that worked. They were not handicapped in that way. Why could they not do it? It says they could not speak peaceably to their brother. They could not because they hated him so much. They could not because they would not. And so we see that's very similar to what's being described here. Before we come to Christ by God's grace, we are described as without strength. This is true of people who before Christ came, during Christ's earthly ministry, all the way to Christ's second coming, those who are unconverted and lost are without strength. They're helpless. They can do nothing to save themselves. But in light of that reality, for when we were still without strength, it says in due time or at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We see here that we know for sure that without strength is blameworthy because it describes those who are without strength as the ungodly. Those without strength are the ungodly. And in due time, these are the people that Christ came to die for. He came to die for the ungodly. You know why he had to come to die for the ungodly? Because there was no other people to die for. Everyone was the ungodly. Everyone that he came to save was a hell-bent, ungodly person. And those are the people that Christ came to save. That those who were rejecting God, spitting in God's face, hating God, those were the same people that the Lord Jesus Christ came to lay down his life for. The same people that mocked him and the same people that despised him were some of the same people that the Lord of glory came to die for. Christ died for the ungodly. Those who had nothing to commend themselves to God. Nothing that they could do. They were helpless. They were without strength. They could do nothing to make themselves acceptable to God. And therefore Christ died for those people, for the ungodly for those who are rebels against God, for those who are God-haters. These are the people that Christ died for. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those who could not save themselves. He died for those who could, not do, could do nothing to save themselves. He died for those who were completely without strength. These are the people that Christ came to die for, those who make up the ungodly. But now my second point, the scarcity of one dying even for a righteous or good man. So we see that in verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly, But in verse 7, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. What it's saying, so Christ died for the ungodly. And it's very rare that someone would even die for a righteous or even a good man. Someone who's benevolent, someone who's generous, someone who's gracious, It's very rare that someone would step in and take their place. For someone who's known as a very righteous and a very blameless and a very upright man. How scarce it would be for someone to die for that person. For someone to take the place of a a man who was righteous or good. I mean, think about there's someone who was unjustly condemned. And many people knew, but for some reason, he was unjustly condemned. He was a righteous man. He was a benevolent man. He was a good man. People knew he, many people knew this is unjustified. He's a good man. He's a righteous man. But how scarce it would be for someone to say, let's say the penalty was so serious, he had to get the death penalty for someone to say, I'll take it for him because I know he's a good man. How scarce that would be for someone to say, I'll lose my life because I know this is a good man and he's unjustly condemned and I don't want him to lose his family and lose his life. I'll die for him. Very few times where that would ever happen, where someone would say, I will die for this righteous man. How scarce it would be for someone to do that. For them to lay down their life for that person. How scarce, how infrequent that would happen. And so we see, we'll see that there's a comparison here. But we want to get in our minds how even rare and how loving and how gracious it would be for a person to even die for a good man. For a righteous man. For an upright man. How loving that would be. How gracious that would be. And so we see that that would be very rare. But then we see in verse 8, my third point, God's love demonstrated in Christ's death. We see the word or the two words, I'll put them together, but God, but God. It's very rare for someone to die for a righteous man or for a good man, but God. That's the contrast. It's very rare that someone would ever die for even a benevolent, righteous, and good man. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while not while we were righteous, not while we were good, not while we were saints, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That in the moment when God, he didn't find good people that Christ could die for. He couldn't find righteous people for Christ to die for. But his love was demonstrated in such a way towards us that in our rebel condition, while we were still without strength, while we were still in bondage to sin, Christ died for us. And in that, the love of God is demonstrated. The love of God is demonstrated in that he saw a group of hell-deserving sinners who were nothing but rebels against him. And in that, by giving his only begotten son to die for us, his love was put on display. Think about it this way. We talked about how scarce it would be for a righteous, for someone to die for a righteous or a good man. But think about someone taking the place of someone who year after year stole their money, literally spit in their face, vandalized their property, hated their person, slandered them, gossip about them, tore down their good name. And that person, the one who was being sinned against, would willingly take the place of that person. That's the contrast. Because that's what all of us are like before Christ. We are hostile to God. The Bible does not teach that people are neutral to God in their lost condition. This is a lie that sometimes people can think, well, I'm not for Christ, but I'm not against him. Well, Jesus says, if you're not for me, what are you? Against me. There is no neutral position The scriptures teach in Romans 1 that all of us in our lost condition are haters of God. That we are rebels against God. And we are foolish and disobedient and deceived. We serve various lusts and pleasures. We live in malice and envy. We're hateful and hating one another. This is the condition of all mankind before salvation. We are rebels against God. We are God haters. We are sinners loving our sin, delighting in iniquity. And we would be very glad for God to not exist. Because we run from God. We despise God. This is the condition that God found the people that Christ would die for. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. The us here is those who are his elect, his people, his chosen ones, that those are the people that God in infinite love demonstrates towards us. Those who were chosen by God before time began, that they were on the heart of God, so to speak, before he even made the world. That it was God's purpose knowing because he decreed the fall that the fall would take place and that mankind would rebel against him and run from him. But from all eternity, God had a plan to redeem his people from their sins. And in that, he chose them to be his precious possession. And in from all eternity, he gave that people to his son to be his love gift. That's why Jesus will say all that the father has given me will come to me. And so from all eternity, God had a people on his heart that he loved and would demonstrate his love towards. But that love was seen in its fullest display in Christ's death upon the cross. It was loving for God to rescue his people out of Egypt. That was an act of mercy and love and grace. It was an act of kindness as God would lead his people through the wilderness and into the promised land. Those were manifestations of God's love. It's a manifestation of God's love that he sends rain even to the just and the unjust, to the wicked and to the, the godly. Those are manifestations of God's love. But God's love is most clearly seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. In that, the love of of God was demonstrated. God's love was seen in Christ as he died for us. God sent his only begotten son in the world. He humbled himself. He was born without sin because he was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a life of perfect obedience, living in a world of sin, living in a world of sorrow. He humbled himself And was obedient in every respect to God's law. And his obedience climax, as Philippians chapter 2 tells us, to the obedience to the death of the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ went all the way in his love for his people. And God's love was seen in that Christ went all the way to die for us. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, not long before he died, he knew that his hour had come where he was to glorify his father and redeem his people. But because he knew what he was about to experience, he was sweating drops of blood because he wanted the cup to pass away. If there was any other way for the cup to pass away, he didn't want to take the cup. According to his human nature, knowing that what was in the cup was nothing less than the wrath of Almighty God. That he was in a few short hours going to drink God's wrath because the only way justice could be satisfied is if a substitute willingly and voluntarily absorbs in himself the wrath of Almighty God. And in this, the love of God was demonstrated. It was seen, it was magnified that Christ for his beloved people would take upon himself the death that they deserve. That he would lay down his life as a sacrifice for sin. That upon that cross, every sin of every one of God's people was imputed to him. And he received upon that cross the full weight of the wrath of God and completely satisfied it so he could say, it is finished. Because he completely took the cup of wrath. That in this, the love of God was demonstrated. Sometimes believers can, they can doubt whether or not God loves them or God is for them. They can doubt whether or not God actually loves them and a lot of times what can happen is they determine whether or not God loves them by how they feel or by looking inside or by thinking how do I feel about God at this moment but as a child of God the way you can know that God loves you is that Christ died for you when you were the ungodly that's where God's love is demonstrated it's demonstrated not in our feelings ultimately, it's not demonstrated ultimately in our love for God, but it's demonstrated in his love for us that was most clearly seen at the cross of Jesus Christ, where the wrath of God was satisfied and the love of God was magnified. In that cross work, God's justice and fury against sin and sinners was completely satisfied. And his love, mercy, and compassion towards his people was magnified. In one event, justice and mercy kissed at the cross. Because there, God was able to show his justice in punishing sin and yet being willing to justify those who believe upon Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was in this event, it was in this act, that God's love was demonstrated towards us. God being our creator, the one who made us, the one who made all things in the space of six days. He made all very good. The God who created our first parents, Adam and Eve, he gave them a law that they broke and they rebelled against him. The world was plunged into sin and rebellion and iniquity. And that world was under the judgment of God because of their sin and rebellion. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And the son of God lived And his obedience went all the way to the cross where he would die the death for his people, his ungodly, sinful, sinning people so that he could make them his own. He was buried in the grave. He resurrected from the dead on the third day. He ascended back up into heaven and now he forever lives to make intercession for his people. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is who is God? Who and what is God? Who are we? created in the image of God, fallen in sin, what God has done for us in Christ to redeem us. And then how we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we receive Jesus by repenting and trusting alone in him. This is where God's love was demonstrated. It was demonstrated at the cross. And there's other verses about this. We see that when the Bible talks about love, it almost always puts it together together with Christ and God giving of Christ. Let's think of a few texts. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or the text that says in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it's in the cross of Jesus Christ where God's love is most clearly seen. But let me take several minutes or some time to now apply these truths. Well, first, if you're here without Christ, if you're here without the salvation found in Jesus, the only hope for you to be acceptable to God, the only hope for you to be reconciled to God, the only hope for you to have a right relationship with God is by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be reconciled to God, the only way that you can have friendship with God and go from being ungodly and under his wrath and lost is if you would look to Christ as your all-sufficient Savior. If you would look to Christ, God will forgive all of your sins. He will wash you clean. He will make you acceptable in his sight. He will accept you into his sight, not because of what you've done, but because of Christ alone. That's how you can be acceptable to God. Sometimes we can ask people, why should God let you into heaven? And many people give all types of wrong answers, but the answer that you must have in your heart and in truth is, My only hope is Jesus died for me. My only hope is that Jesus died for me. And so if you are not with Christ, if you're not in Christ, I plead with you, I beg you to not harden your hearts, but to turn from trusting in sin and self to trusting in Jesus Christ. Because if you believe in Jesus, God will wash away all of your sins. You have the gift of everlasting life because the gospel is offered to every single person that they might receive Jesus Christ. And yes, you heard me say Jesus died for the elect, but that doesn't mean that the gospel is not offered to you because I don't know who the elect are. And therefore I offer to everyone that whosoever will let him come and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ Christ. And you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The message is offered to anyone. And if they take Christ, they will never be turned away. Because all that the Father gives me will come to me, Jesus says. And whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to Christ, you will not be cast out. You'll be received, you'll be welcomed by a merciful God who demonstrated his love in Christ's death for sinners. And as believers, oh, how important it is for us to grow in our knowledge and glorying in the death of Christ and the love of God demonstrated for us in Christ's death. This is the heart of the Bible. The whole Bible is about God demonstrating his love in Christ's death. The Old Testament, what is it all about? The sufferings and glory of Christ. God sending his son to be the redeemer of his people. What's the New Testament all about? How Christ has accomplished that salvation for us. And how for all those who believe in him, he will bring us to glory. But you know what we'll be singing and celebrating glory? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. The entire Bible is about how God demonstrates his love in the death of Jesus Christ. It's so important for you as a Christian To be relishing and basking and glorying in this love. That the love that God has demonstrated for you in Christ. So many people can determine their relationship with God as how they are doing. And there's a place to examine our hearts of how we're doing. But first and foremost, our relationship with God, if we're believers, is secure. Because Christ's death has been accomplished for us. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot be less justified. You cannot be less adopted. You cannot be less accepted by God. Because you're accepted in Christ. And therefore your, your foundation, your acceptance, your all in all. Is what God has done for you, not what you do for God. False religions of the world, what are they marked by? What you do for God is the difference. The true religion. Biblical Christianity, what makes the difference? is not what you do for God, but what God did for you in Jesus Christ. That's what makes the difference. It's not what you do for God, it's what God did for you. It's also so important that we realize that a key motivation for why we should live the Christian life is because the love of Christ compels us. Because we're motivated We're desirous to live a faithful Christian life because we know how much Christ has loved us, how much God has loved us in giving Christ. And therefore we find our joy in obedience, not because we're saying, oh, if I obey, I might be more accepted by God, I might be better in God's favors, etc., I might be more accepted by him, more justified. No, no, no. We obey because we're justified. We obey because we're accepted. We obey because we're his children. It's never we obey and then maybe God will let me be his child. It's we obey because we're his child. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. My dear brother and sister or sister, are you resting in Christ today? Are you resting in Christ? Are you trusting that He He is your all sufficient Savior? And everything you do in the Christian life is because He first loved you. The Christian life will become burdensome and weary if it's not fueled by the love of God in Christ and the Spirit of God applying that to our hearts to live a faithful life for God. It's so important. Because if we only hear and think of what I have to do and not what's been done for me, we will burn out. God has never meant us to live a life of only this is what I'm supposed to do. It's this is who you are in Christ because what God has done for you, therefore, live this life. To rest in Christ, to rest in Christ. I've used this example so many times. so those who have heard me preach, have heard it probably more than once, but I still think it's good to, to say. Sometimes what can happen with Christians is they can, what I call, give themselves the self-lash. Where they sin. Maybe a sin that they've been struggling with and hate and they've been giving into, but they're fighting it and they give into it. And what the temptation that our own flesh and the demonic realm wants us to think is God does not want you to come back to him right now. God doesn't want to hear your prayer right now. You're dirty. You just sinned. Why would God want you in his presence right now? Why would God want to hear you right now? You're dirty. You sinned. You're, You're just a hypocrite. You're not actually a Christian. This is what our flesh and the demonic realm wants us to think. If you're actually a Christian, you wouldn't still struggle with this. If if you're actually a Christian, you wouldn't deal with this anymore. If you were still a Christian, you wouldn't have that thought come through your mind. or You wouldn't dwell on that thought. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't do that. You can't actually be a Christian. That's what our flesh and the demonic realm wants us to think. But as we remember a text like this, we realize... God demonstrated his love for me not when I was obeying him or loving him or serving him, but while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And therefore, when we sin, god you know where God wants us? At his throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what? For you as a child of God in Christ, the throne will never be a throne of damnation. It will always be a throne of grace. God's grace might come to you in chastisement, but it's only because he wants you to be better and more godly. And he always wants you seeking his face in prayer. Even in the times when you are in your sin. Let me show you how good the gospel is to connect you with that. Almost too good to be true, but it is true because the word of God teaches it. When you are sinning, giving into sin, at that exact moment, you are no less justified before God than when you were obeying. Your justification does not change one bit on your obedience. Are you hearing me, my beloved brethren? Your justification changes one bit, even when you're sinning. Because you know why you're justified? Not because of your obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience for you. And his obedience never changes because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, you can have confidence that even in that act of sinning, you have peace with God because you're justified through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, well, that might make people think that they can just sin. Ungodly lost people, it will. You're exactly right. Ungodly lost people will take that, those who have no true faith, and say, oh, great, I can sin however I want But those who are truly Christians will hear that, rejoice, and all the more want to obey God because of his great love. Because we don't want to sin, so grace abounds. But isn't it interesting, we're in chapter 5 and chapter 6 is where it talks about that. Because Paul, by the Holy Spirit in his preaching, was so desirous that people would understand God's grace is free. God's love is not based on you. That some people, erroneously, said, well, let's just sin. And he said, well, that's not the logical conclusion. But he was preaching the free grace of God. He was preaching that justification is secure and steadfast. But anyone who's been truly justified has also been regenerated so that they could believe and therefore they have new desires. And so we must live the Christian life not based on what we're doing ultimately for God, but resting first and foremost in what God has done for us. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You need to be reminded of this over and over and over again. You know why? Because our tendency in all of us, if we're not careful, is to have a workspace man-made religion. Our tendency is always to, I'm doing good. I must be more accepted. I'm not doing that good. I must be less accepted. I'm struggling with this. God must be, I must be separate from God. We all can deal with that if we're not basking in what god has done for us in christ and so as believers we need more and more and more to remember that our righteousness is before god and it does not change because our righteousness is jesus christ himself and again it's out of in light of that that we live the christian life that christ while we were without strength christ died for us the ungodly Those who were living lives of of rebellion against God. Those who, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's in light of that glorious gospel reality that we live a life of obedience to God. It's because of that that we desire to please him. That God would demonstrate his own love towards you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. This is also important in the way we evangelize people. When we evangelize people, we do not tell them. We ought not to tell them. If you clean your life up, make your life better, stop doing this, stop doing that, maybe you get a little bit more morally refined, bring some reformation, then maybe you can come to Christ and God will accept you. We don't preach the gospel like that. We do not preach to people that fix themselves up, make themselves better, and then come. We preach to people That if you come to Christ, he will fix you. You don't fix yourself to come to Christ. You come to Christ, he will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will purify you. But you come to Christ as you are, guilty and filthy before God, with nothing to commend yourself. And we tell them that you don't have to bring anything. You just come to Christ in your filthiness and guilt. and He will receive you if you come to him in repentance and in faith. And so we tell the ungodly, those who are lost, that they can come if they would only believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. It's free grace. It's free grace. The love of God demonstrated in Christ is glorious beyond compare. And my beloved brothers and sisters, if you don't take anything else from this sermon, know God loves you. God loves you. God is for you. And I know he's for you because Christ died for you. God loves you. His beloved child. And that love was demonstrated. Even while you were rebelling against him, Christ died for you. May God apply these truths to all of our hearts. And may we love God all the more because he first loved us. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would apply these truths to our heart. Help us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.